What's going on, Liberty 412 family? This is M.A., and I am so excited. We are kicking off a brand new series called My Story. And the whole purpose of this is to talk about and break down and understand the reasoning why we should tell our stories and what the power is behind us sharing our stories or our testimonies as it may be. You know, in Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus gives us a very clear command, and it's go therefore and make disciples. Now, this just isn't a command for the disciples. It's not just a command for the pastors, the preachers, or those that are in ministry. It is a command for anyone and everyone that calls their name to be a Christian. We are called to go therefore and make disciples. And one of the greatest ways we can do this is by sharing our testimony with someone else. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says this, Peter tells us, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. See, the truth of the matter is that command of go therefore and make disciples, honestly, a, a poll of most Christians would say that the majority of Christians don't talk to other people about Jesus in their life. We just don't do it. Um, we may say we're a Christian, but we don't want to engage further because we don't feel like we have all the answers. But the truth of the matter is, one of the greatest ways we can go out and show Jesus to the world is to share with people our testimony. Because here's the truth of the matter, nobody can refute your testimony. It is truth. It is your story of how your life was interacted and supernaturally changed by Jesus's mighty grace and mercy on your life. And so that is one of the greatest ways we can make disciples is sharing our story. But there's three major parts to any testimony. The first part is who you were before Christ. Then the second part is the moment in which you met Jesus. There was a defining moment in which you realized that without Jesus in your life, you, there was no hope for your soul. And then the third part is who you are now and who you are continuing to follow after. And so basically it's a three-part step of who you were before, when you met Jesus, and who you are now and the person that you are continually trying to be molded into the image of Christ. And we are going to break that down into a three, maybe four-part series. But the first part this week, we are just going to be talking about that first, very first step, which is who you were before Christ. Because the truth of the matter is, I, I don't think many people know, they know that they're a Christian, but they don't know how to articulate it. They don't know how to share their story. Uh, and so when pressed against it, um, it gets a little overwhelming. And so my hope and prayer is, is that by doing this, we can begin to formulate our own stories and we can write it out. And so therefore, when someone asks, hey, why are you a Christian? We have it formulated it out. We have taken the, the process of laying our thoughts to paper and it makes it abundantly more clear instead of us just rambling and saying, well, you know, all this, all that. It is a very clear and concise gospel message of how the gospel of Jesus Christ infected our own hearts. So week one, who you were before Christ. Now to understand this more, we're going to go look into the life of Paul and we're going to read his story because there is no more, I think, just powerful story of a conversion than that of Paul. And really, Paul is the reason why we have the gospel here in America today. Without his missionary endeavors, without him pushing forward the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles, 
There's no way we would have the gospel today. And so there's a lot to be said in his story, but we're going to look at Paul, uh, who was really his name before Jesus got a hold of him was Saul. And so we're going to, we're going to look in Acts chapter seven, chapters eight and chapters nine and break down who Saul was, who would later become Paul. We're going to break his life down to who he was before. So if we go to Acts chapter 7, verses 54, this starts off the stoning of Stephen. Now, Stephen was one of the disciples, and uh, he was preaching the gospel. He was preaching Jesus. And man, I tell you what, people couldn't stand it. And so they sought to kill him, and they eventually, they, they actually did kill him by stoning him. And so we're going to pick it up there. In verse 54, it says this, Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast out, cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So this is where Saul comes on the scene in the Bible is he is watching this disciple of Jesus Christ, this godly man, this man that has has followed Jesus with his life, be stoned by the Jewish people because they don't believe him and don't want to hear the truth of who Jesus is. And so these, these Jewish men that are stoning Stephen, they take their coats off to be able to throw these stones. And it says that they lay their coats down at the feet of a young man named Saul. We're going to continue in 59. It says, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You go on now in in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the, except the apostles, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation all of them. Verse three, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So what you see in the stoning of Stephen is these men stoning Stephen and this young this young man named Saul standing there watching this. And after it got all done, after Stephen was stoned and dead, then Saul was like, I agree with what they did. And he took it as his charge to go after and find any Christian he could, rip them from their homes, take them to prison and murder them. Well, you go on in chapter 9, verse 1 through 2, and this is right when God is about to get get a hold of Saul and change him into the man we know as Paul. But in verse, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 9, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So what we see here is Paul is on a, on a mission. He's on a rampage to execute and put in prison any Christians he finds. And he goes to the, the high council of the religious elite and sits there and says, Hey, I'm going 
to find these Christians and I'm going to kill them. So as far as reading into Saul's story, we are going to stop right there in week one. And, and really what we're trying to understand is who was Saul before he met Jesus? And that is the question we must all ask ourselves when beginning our story is, who were we? Who were we before Jesus came into our lives? Were we worthy of salvation or were we not? So the question really is, what kind of man was Saul before Christ? Was he a good man or was he a bad man? And I think after reading these scriptures, we would all say, well, he was a bad man. So as we read that, and as I was thinking about it, was he good or was he bad? And I said, well, clearly he was bad. He was looking to murder people, murder people that were following after Jesus. The next question that came to my mind is, is there any good people in this world? Well, you know, that is a, that's a, a kind of a hard question because I think we'd say, yeah, there, there's good people or, you know, I know my grandmother's good or my uncle's good or my grandfather was the greatest man I know or my mom and dad are good people. Um, we call people good, um, but how good is good enough for salvation? That is the question, right? And in, in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, you see an interesting interaction between Jesus and who the, who the Bible calls the rich young ruler. Um, and he asked Jesus, plain and said, well, how must I inherit eternal life? But before that, he, he confronts Jesus and says, hey, good teacher. And Jesus's response to him immediately was, why do you call me good? There is no one good. Only God is good. So that leaves the question, you know, we talk, we call people all the time, like we, we say this, like, man, he's a good Christian man. But according to the Bible, there's none good. And so when it comes to who we are and the life we live, how good is good enough to become, to get salvation? Well, in Romans 3, chapter 23 through 24, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. So all have sinned. None of us are good enough to receive salvation and the wages of those sins are death. And so there is no being good enough. So yes, Paul, according to our standards, was man, just an absolute awful human being. But in reality of what it takes to gain salvation, I'm just as guilty as Paul is or as Saul is in his life before he met Jesus. So the next question I have is, if we cannot be good enough to receive salvation, how do we go about receiving it? Like, how do we attain salvation if we can't be good enough? If Paul was so bad, but in my life it's trying to be a good person, if comparatively I'm in the same boat, you know what's crazy is, how, how can we attain salvation? Like, if none of us are good enough for it, how do we attain it? Well, in my own story, in my own life, my testimony comes from a verse, which is John 14, 6. And Jesus is speaking. He says, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so in reality, when it comes to who we were before we met Christ, we were all black-hearted sinners that deserved hell and death and the grave. And the only way that we can attain salvation is that through Jesus. He said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the only way we can attain salvation is through Jesus. When we go to tell people our stories, it is vitally important that we let them know that it doesn't matter how many good moral things we did in this world, those don't get us to heaven. 
Those don't attain salvation. We can't grasp salvation without the grace of Jesus' death on the cross and Him entering into our hearts and us surrendering our lives to Him. So that's part one this week. As we go forward, we're going to break into the moment in which we met Jesus. But parents, I would challenge you on this, okay? Maybe you've told your kids that you are a Christian and, and you bring them to church and they probably know you're a Christian, but actually, have you told them in detail your story, your testimony? And one of the most powerful things to me in my life was when my dad sat me down and was like, man, this is who I was. This is the moment I met Jesus. And this is the man I am today because of that supernatural change in my life. So I, I challenge you parents, sit down with your kids, tell them your stories, tell them your testimonies, make it real for them. Not just that Jesus loves, loves them, but show them how Jesus worked in your own life. Y'all have a great week. Can't wait to dive in next week. Stay humble, stay focused, keep pressing on.